Okay, everybody, so welcome back to Crime Scene Queens. I am Laura, your resident crime scene investigator and field mouse. Hey, everybody, I'm Shelly. I'm your legal beagle and your resident court cat. And welcome back to the show where you get a real deal experience of what it's like from the experts from the side of the courtroom, from the side of the investigator, as we take a deep drive into all the stuff that you like to hear about in true crime, but with none of the ethical issues. So, Laura, today, I'm thinking that maybe we should talk about, you know, we've done like some courtroom stuff. We've done, you know, jury duty stuff. How about some mistrials? Ooh, when prosecution goes wrong. You want to know what a mistrial is? Yes, I would like your official definition of a mistrial. All right. Well, there's, I mean, you know, obviously there's different ways that you can have a mistrial, but pretty much it's a trial that's rendered invalid through some type of Mm -hmm. a a processing error so or proceeding error. So like there's something that happened in court that's like, oops, Mm -hmm. that shouldn't have happened. And now we have a mistrial. And then you can also like say that, you know, if there's a hung jury or something, that that's also a mistrial Mm -hmm. as well. So even though there wasn't an error in the proceeding, it's just if you're in different courts and stuff, you have to have unanimous votes. And if you don't, then it's a hung jury. And then that's considered a mistrial. So you get a new trial. Okay. So basically, as we might have all seen in court shows, the jury does have to unanimously agree on the verdict is what you're saying. Not in every courthouse and not in every court case. So some of them it's, you know, you have to just have a majority, but some of them you actually have to have a unanimous vote. So yeah, it just depends on your your case. And Uh Well, for instance, you know, like for us in federal court here, it has to be, there's eight jurors and it has to be unanimous. But then in state court, you know, you can have 12 jurors and it doesn't have to be unanimous. It just has to be like a nine, like as, you know, as many as nine. There's, you know, there's different, different courthouses. They all have, you know, state to state and stuff. It varies. Oh, okay. So it's, it's just different depending on, well, does it matter like between like criminal and civil? Yeah. So that can, you know, that, that definitely, that can matter as well. And, you know, you have to have that more likely than not. The, the scales of justice, you know, the scales, the that scales, they, of the justice. tipping scales of justice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this this mistrial stuff, it's it's mm-hmm. pretty crazy. Uh, so there's been some famous cases. And yeah. So, for instance, uh, we were just talking about the hung jury. So we had right. a federal court case and we had a six to two verdict. So six people were in our favor and then only two were for the other side. And uh-huh. because the judge and everyone said, hey, you know, it would be really great if you guys could really come to an agreement. Is there anything, you know, you're not supposed to sway any of the jurors. So when they go back into deliberation, you're not supposed to, they're not supposed to say, hey, I think you should completely vote my way so we can get out of here. That's not what anyone is asking them to do. What they're asking them to do is say, you know, let's take a look at this evidence. And based on this evidence, is there anything that you can say or do that, you know, or anything that you can look at or, you know, let me let me tell you how I saw this piece of evidence as opposed to how you saw it or this witness and how mm. they testified or whether I believe them or not or that kind of stuff. And, you know, if if any of that happens, then maybe I could sway, you know, by by what I'm saying, does that kind of change your mind or does are you really just sticking to your guns? And so, you know, we had this six to two verdict. And so we headed into a second trial. And then, you know, maybe there was some judge, incorrect ruling from the judge. And, you know, I say incorrect. Maybe I'm a little biased. Maybe I'm a little truthful, uh, depending on how you look at it. But maybe there's some incorrect rulings that created the jury to maybe have a runaway jury or a nuclear verdict, which I think we've talked about a little bit before. Yeah, but remind me particularly runaway jury. Like, I I feel like I already forgot what you taught me on that. (laughs) So. So the runaway juries 
pretty much it's they they take emotions and they base their 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 rule their decision. Yeah, yeah. So they base their decisions mainly off of their off of their emotions. Mm. And with the nuclear verdicts, the nuclear verdicts are just that they're ginormous verdicts that don't make any sense. Ginormous verdicts that don't make any sense. Yeah. So in other words, you know, if you've got, let's say that you've got a, a civil case and there's, you know, I don't know, give me, give me a, give me a civil case, you know, something a that's A civil just case, like, let's see. Um, I feel like the Sandy Hook victims that are suing Alex Jones for saying that that case, that that never happened. Okay. So the jury says, all right, well, we're suing you because we're saying that that never happened. That's fine. Stuff like this normally in the past, they've awarded $50,000. Just arbitrary mm-hmm. number. Doesn't mean right. anything. I, I don't know. I haven't looked up verdicts on this. But, you know, 50000 And this jury is like, we feel it's $100 million. So they're going Yeah. So the difference between that, I mean, that is, that's huge. That's what's, that's a, that's a nuclear verdict. Okay. So they're basically, it's obvious that they're being overly emotional about it because the number is through the roof. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Like it's it's unheard of. And right. so runaway juries are juries that base their decisions off of their emotions or based off of their own dis- like their own thought process and such and okay. it doesn't really have anything to do with the evidence or with the witnesses that were on the stand. So a lot of times they go hand in hand. So you know, have your runaway juries and then you have a okay. nuclear verdict because that's really how you get a nuclear verdict is when the jury you know, if there's some type of maybe let's say there's a sexual oh, misconduct right. type thing, you know, people are very they're you know, they, they really think with their hearts on that. And they yeah, don't necessarily look at the jury. You know, they, they draw yeah. from either personal experience or, you know, victims. They, you know, want to give the they want to do the victims right. And so they think. Yeah. 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 And so but emotions are not made for a court of law. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And even though you're instructed on that exact thing, sometimes it doesn't always happen. So, you know, that was one of our, you know, a, a hung jury experience that I had. Yep. And, you know, there's another one where there was a judge that let in, uh, you know, subsequent acts. So in other words, if you've got, uh, let's say, uses of force. So you've got uses, different uses of force. A uh, law enforcement officer is getting sued for. Yes. Whatever he's getting sued for. Yeah. And so... Because he's getting sued, there was the time of the incident that they're mm-hmm. that you're in trial for. There's stuff that happened after that because you know some some force is reasonable. You know, obviously there's excessive force. We've seen that, right? In, you know, news and media and stuff like that. But if you've got a, a good use of force, and that's yeah. fine. You know, officers use that all the time. And then let's say that you know a couple months, couple weeks, you know, a couple years down the road. There's more uses of force, but they're reasonable. That's great. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And your trial is years and years down the road. So everything that happened after your incident, mm-hmm. how does that affect what happened at the incident? Oh, I hear you. It's kind of, yeah, like if we're referring to maybe there have been a couple. <laughs> I'm not trying to be cute. There have been more than a couple very public officer-involved shootings, particularly involving people of color where the officer is white or of European descent, and there were retaliatory acts from the community or groups that were spawned off of that officer-involved shooting, and that created an emotional high. Is that kind of what you mean? Well, so what I'm talking about is, let's say, you know, we have a 
I think you and I both have a mutual friend that's in law enforcement. Right. And so they, they're using force, reasonable force. Yep. You know, whether the use of right. force is, you know, just even pointing a gun can be considered a use of force. So it I'm is. not saying, you know, they're it not. It is a use of force. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm not saying, you know, for our listeners, I'm not saying, you know, they're beating the crap out of someone and that's justified. Right. That's not what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying is, you know, just pointing a gun can be a use of force. So well, we they, have a continuum. Exactly. And, you know, let's right. say that they are, you know, using you know, for instance, this whole, there was, you know, there's some stuff in, in news that there's a certain type of use of force. And I don't really want to get into that because I don't want to name drop anything. Yeah. But, you know, right. if there's a certain type of use of force that they're saying that's no longer allowed. Mm. But, you know, the deputies that use that force have been using that force for a long time. Yeah. And it just so happens that because of this certain incident that happened, you know, let's say, uh, two years ago. <laughs> two so years two ago. years ago, right. this certain incident happened, and now you can no longer use that use of force. Well, what happened between two years ago and today, mm -hmm. those incidents should not play any role in the trial because they happened after. So if yeah. the other side is saying, well, you know, the, the department should have known that that mm -hmm. deputy used excessive force— even though maybe he only had like one or two uses of force prior to the incident that you're in trial for, everything right. after that shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter if he used 5, 10, 15, 20, 30. The department really didn't have any knowledge that maybe it was excessive. So those are the subsequent acts that I'm speaking of, you know, and it doesn't have to okay. be use of force. It can be anything. It can be anything. But those subsequent acts, if a judge lets those in, then that is – you know, that to me is something that I feel that taints the jury in a way because yeah. what it does to the jury is it says, don't look at what happened before. Let's look at what happened after. Well, I get to me that doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. Well, explain to me, like from your perspective, why the word like you say taints or creates a bias like because you're trying to say that, like, these subsequent acts don't contribute to the original incident, so we shouldn't be including them? Correct. So okay. the, the acts that happen after the incident, they happened afterwards. So, for right. instance, in other words, if I went to the store and I, mm -hmm. you know, stole a bunch of stuff. Right. And then I finally got caught. Mm hmm But then I'm... I got released from custody. And so afterwards, instead of stealing a bunch of stuff, now I go and I vandalize a bunch of stuff. Right. And oh, okay. my job doesn't fire me because I've been reprimanded, but they don't fire me. And so now the jury is hearing, well, wait a second. After this incident, you did something you did else more. that doesn't okay. have anything that's relevant to what we're here for today. And so the judge is letting everything in. And when yeah. the judge lets everything in, then I feel like it's a little bit more prejudicial than it is beneficial. I hear and you. So, yeah. So therefore, all those subsequent acts, I feel, and it's been, we've, you know, we've had instances like this before in the past where we say, because you let those acts in and they had really nothing to do with our incident, uh -huh. you know, our person did nothing wrong during that incident. And yeah, but because after that incident, they did things that you know, may not have been, mm -hmm. you know, up to everyone's standards. So because of that, then the juries are hearing all that. And now the juries are saying, well, then that person's a horrible person. Well, you know, I mean. I have a question that's like devil's advocate. 
Because okay. like I know why you're saying that because I agree with you just ha- having an awareness of how the system is supposed to work. But if I were like an audience member that wasn't in our like field. In our circle. <laughs> in our circle. They at times in trials will take into account a person's lack of criminal history or the fact that they have residual criminal history. So why is it different to take into account what happened after the incident if very frequently we take into account what happened before? It depends on who you're suing. So if you're suing oh, the officer yeah. or the, you mm-hmm. know, the law enforcement person, okay. then okay, that you can potentially in some cases say, okay, then I see definitely a pattern. But if you're going to sue the agency that they work for and you're going to say yeah. that the agency should have known that at the time of the incident that they were a you know bad apple or that right. they were using excessive force or whatever. Or that they weren't properly trained. after that incident they did stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so it, you know, because after that incident happened, other stuff happened, you know, after the recent right. trial, after that, like that's, you can't do that. Like that to me is, that's, that's what I'm talking about. No, I, I feel like I totally understand that now. Um, you know, it's funny because it did call to my uh, recollection is one time we had a murder suspect that we developed due to the evolution of DNA technology. There was a big leap. So we were Mm -hmm. able to produce a new suspect, but he was already in prison for a separate murder. So he had to endure trial for the other murder when he was already in prison for a long Mm -hmm. time for a separate murder. So it's this whole big loop-de-loop of, like, uh, recidivism not necessarily working. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah, no, I actually think that's a really interesting, Shelly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There was a case, and there is a case, actually, that Mm -hmm. is going on, and it's I think it's a little famous. Mm -hmm. And I, a little birdie said that they heard that the judge Mm. called the defense attorney a liar. Yikes. Yeah. So first of all, that's a no-no. Second of all, uh, if you ever – so if a jury – if a juror overhears anything – Mm-hmm. The only way that they can communicate with the judge or the other or the parties is they have to send notes through the bailiff or the marshal or the clerk or whoever. Oh. And there's someone that actually walks them into the jury deliberation room for breaks, for lunches, for, you know, before court, for after court, that sort of stuff. And that's where they kind of mm-hmm. keep their stuff as well sometimes. So they have the opportunity, but they have to send a note. So they can't really communicate. They can just like send notes and they're directed as such when they get their jury duty and, They're and given when they instructions. get selected. Yeah, when they get yeah. selected. So that's the only way that they can do that. And so apparently there was a note that was handed that said, I heard the judge call one of the attorneys a liar. Yikes. Yikes on several bikes. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So when that yeah. happened, it was a, well, um, how are you supposed to react? So mm. that, that created a mistrial. 
So how did the jury hear this? Like, what was the context in which the jury heard that even? I think they just heard it underneath the judge's breath mm. during testimony. Yikes. Or, you know, the, the judge was on the bench and the jury was sitting there and who knows, the witness might have been off the stand or something like that. But that's yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. But yeah, so there is, there's, like I, like I was saying, there's a famous case that, you know, we, we talk about DNA. And right. Laura, mm -hmm. like this, I think is totally, this is going to be kind of up your alley a little bit. Okay. So, uh, you know, there's these DNA tests that run on evidence. You know, it's used to convict the defendants. And right. there was this case and it turns up that there was this new piece of evidence that they found DNA on. Okay. And then when they found this DNA, they decided to run the DNA and a couple of issues with this. Uh -oh. So this piece of evidence was never turned over before. Oh, for discovery? Yes, it was never oh, turned man. over to the defense team. Yikes. This piece of evidence clearly said that the the newfound possible suspect, it said that they had the motive to kill the victim. That The evidence did? The evidence did, yeah. So the evidence said, there was evidence that stated- Well, tell that me they, what the evidence was. Just say it. It was, it like, was just yeah. a piece of paper. It was just, it was like a note. Oh. It was a note. It was like a journal. Ooh. And it said, yeah. you know, here's my motive. And I don't know, you know, without- They got DNA off the paper? So, yeah. So there was, and they, it, there was a motive. They said that they were going to kill the victim. And they said that they would make their body disappear. And People are not usually so brazen as to write an entire manifesto about what could put them away for the rest of their life. But good for well, this person. I mean, you remember when we wrote in our diaries and we had the little locks? And there was like a little key in our diary. Yes. But so if I ever like, <laughs> I know, but if I ever went on like a carving party on somebody that pissed me off, I wouldn't write it down. I mean, damn. <laughs> some people just do. Some people have that's that ego. Well, okay. So we talked about how a lot of criminals that can't keep their mouth shut. And so that's mm -hmm. why they get busted. Right. Well, yeah. apparently they kept their mouth shut. They just couldn't keep their hand from writing it out. So they found that they found the DNA on this and this person, the way that they linked them up was because this person was actually being convicted of rape and sexual assault. And so they pulled the DNA oh. from the buckle swab yeah. and they matched it because it was in the system. Right. It was in the offender database, right? Yes. Yes. CODIS, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that definitely played a role in finding new evidence. And well, because the DNA was never turned over. Yeah. Yes. You can't do that. Well, actually, yeah. now I have another question, Shelly. Like, let's just say a trial is happening, like right now. And as we both know, sometimes evidence takes a while for the results to come back. So let's just say the results of this evidence processing come back in the middle of the trial. Like, is that admissible? Absolutely. For the DNA. So if DNA comes back in the middle of trial? Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. However, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a mistrial. It's just there's new evidence. And you can absolutely right. always bring in new evidence as long as, well, I shouldn't say absolutely always. You, It's not absolute and it's not always. But you can right. sometimes bring in new evidence. Okay. So the reason why that is allowed is because the item that the DNA was collected from would have been a part of discovery and the item on this, this, this piece of paper was not part of discovery. That's what the difference is? So this this item of evidence is this journal or whatever it, whatever mm -hmm. the exact name of it was, notebook, journal item, not exactly mm -hmm. sure. But 
that was never turned over. It was discovered, but it just oh, was never that's turned why. over. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So if there's a mistrial and we have to do the whole thing all over again, can yes. that evidence now be a part of the new trial? Oh, yes, absolutely. As long as, I mean, you know, obviously the rules of evidence. So as long mm-hmm. as it was gathered properly and that sort of stuff. Right. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So the, the downside is we have to do this whole shebang over again. But the upside is we now get to include this conclusive piece of evidence. One of the bad things that can potentially happen with picking a new or having a new trial from a mistrial, let's say that you had a great jury. Well, now you may not have a good jury anymore. So, you know, you can't select the same people again, obviously, and you're never going to have the same people again. So that that creates a huge issue or sometimes it's a good thing. Maybe you had a crappy selection and now you have a good selection. So you never know. Yeah, that's actually that rings a bell because there is a really famous sentencing phase trial happening by me right now. And they took so long to select this jury because the case is so famous in our area that even if you pull jurors from other areas of my state, everybody still knows about this case. And it's got like there's like just so much propensity or likelihood of for bias that it took them like I mean several rounds of jury selection and now due to some discord between the judge and the defense there might be a mistrial and I'm like oh my god they're gonna have to do jury selection again and it was already hard enough for them to get the people they have yeah and one of the things about doing jury selection again though like one of the great things that we have for us Mm -hmm. is you can actually send out juror questionnaires and the jury yep. fills them out, and then we can take a look at them so that we can actually start to select or mm-hmm. weed out the ones that, you know, for instance, we get we get a pool of, let's say, like 40 or 50 jurors. So we get their questionnaires, and we review them, and we say, okay, this person definitely, we're going to kick them for, you know, for cause, so they have some type of a bias. Or, you know, if, if we're trying a suit, you know, a, a case, and it's with an uh, – if it's with law enforcement and this person works for the same agency or they are law enforcement, then mm-hmm. the other side's going to say, absolutely not. We got to kick them for cause. So it weeds yep. out some of those. But then when you weed them out, then you get more jurors and more of their papers in. So it w- actually works out. I, I'm convinced that I will never be allowed to sit on a jury, even though I'd love to. Well, I just had jury duty and I am actually super thankful because I sat in the morning and I thought, all right. I'm not going to mm-hmm. get – I'm not getting called. I just kept telling myself, like, I'm putting it out in the universe. I'm not going to get called <laughs> for jury duty because this is going to be like uh, – this – let's see. I've been called 10 times and I've sat on a jury eight out of the 10 times. Oh, so gosh. Let me, yeah, it's been it's been crazy. So let's just say I'm putting it out in the universe. I'm not getting called. Shelly is not getting called. I'm not getting called. And so they have you fill out the form and everything. And then they ask, you know, if you're a government employee, you have to fill in the little circle. And next to the government employee circle, there's – called uh it's long cause trial and a very long cause trial and there's two little bubbles next to that and so the person that's up at the front that's doing the jury service they say okay well you know if you're available for a long cause trial then fill in that bubble and if you're available Mm -hmm. for a very long cause trial then fill in that bubble and being a government employee and being you know the the good the good citizen that I am, mm-hmm. I am honest. Everyone's like, I don't know why you are because you always get selected. I'm like, I don't know, maybe because I'm honest. And so I am like, all right, I'm honest. It's great. That's awesome. And the person up at the front was like, well, actually, we don't have any long cause or very long cause trials. And I was like, 
oh, this is, oh, wait, I was going to say it's great, but no, it's actually not because now I'm probably going to get called because, you know, yeah. just my luck that, you know, now I'm going to get called. But then. Well, what's the time difference between those two things, long cause and very long cause? Like, what's Well, the so time for difference? instance, uh, where I was at, they, they tell you, they say, if you are available for jury duty and as long as you don't have, as long as you don't meet any of the criteria that will either excuse you from jury service or that will postpone your jury service, then you need to make sure that the next two to three days you're available. So up to three days. And then okay. you've got your long cause trials, which are usually around with your deliberations. Mm-hmm. It's usually about two weeks, like a week to two weeks. So that's yikes. With, and when I say a week to two weeks, that's, you know, you've got you're like five days, three to five days. But if you think about it, by the time you have your jury instructions read, by the mm-hmm. time they put on the case, then, you know, openings, closings and jury select, you know, jury selection. And then at the end, you know, you get your, you know, the jury goes out and they deliberate. So that's all inclusive in that. But then the very long cause is like two weeks or more. Yeah, that sounds miserable. <laughs> you know, it I mean, depends. I guess if you're single and you have nothing else to do, like yeah. small children is what I meant to say. I oh, didn't yeah. mean to be like shitty about that. I mean, like if you don't have... <laughs> tiny humans that you have to keep alive and a husband on night shift, then maybe it would be exciting to do a very long cause. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think that, you know, there's a couple of other things that might be interesting too. There Mm -hmm. was, speaking of juries, during our pre-trial incident. So we're we're during, you know, during trial, during pre-trial, we kind of look people over and check them out. Uh, if mm-hmm. we can, if we have the opportunity to get a gist. Yeah. Just, you know, see who they are, see if they have any biases. That's what we're looking for. You know, we're just we're looking for everyone just to be fair. And if you've got really strong opinions one way or another and you don't think that you can be fair, then you need to be honest because then you probably shouldn't be sitting on a jury during trial. Everything was good. And then right after trial, we actually found that someone posted something on their social media because they hid their social media and then they posted it. And as soon as they posted it, it was just like, that's why this happened. So obviously, you know, we found out about it and the other side found out about it and then brought it to the judge's attention. And then they called the jury in for questioning and the juror's like, oh, uh, that wasn't, you know, I don't know. Or, uh, or, uh, and yeah, well, what did they post? Come on, come on. Oh, uh, it was a, it was a racial, it was a racial thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought you meant they posted something about the trial. No, no. After the trial is over, you know, everything's like fair game, but no. They, well, who has the balls to post racist stuff online anymore? Some people do. And so they Jesus. posted racial, racial, racial stuff. And then, yeah. Bye. So, yeah. Bye. So, well, but the problem is, is trial was over. So, yes. So then it was brought to the judge's attention. The judge calls them back in and calls both sides in. And then a mistrial is declared. And then we have to completely retry the case after we already won. So that sucked. Oh, yeah, that does suck. Yeah. But especially if the victim is like a person of color, then I I mean, it's justified. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just, you know, it's just like, come on. Oh, come on, dude. Keep your racism in your own brain and work on yourself. Go do some yoga. Right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. I know know a good yoga instructor. Um, Yeah. And then there's, (laughs) oh my goodness. So then there was this defense attorney on a death row case that fell asleep. (gasps) Yes. What an asshole. (laughs) Right? So like you have a six, so, you know, you have your, you have your, you know, the, all the amendments, right? So your sixth Mm -hmm. amendment is right to legal counsel and having, it's it's the kind of unwritten conscious, you know, like 
Yeah. You're supposed to have someone that can represent you, but you know, you're supposed to have legal representation. It's your life and he's falling asleep. It's your literal life at stake. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the prerequisite. For pre- I can't even say the word prerequisite for having. Prerequisite. Yeah. Prerequisite for having and receiving a fair trial. And if your counsel is sleeping, then obviously they're not doing their job. And, you know, yeah, yeah so that's a, that's a mistrial. That's and, a good one, though. I even yes. am like, yeah, F that. Yeah. And, you know, when I teach, so one of the things, too, is judges do fall asleep, too. Love you, judges. Oh, I've seen. But, yep. yeah, yeah. Ev- everyone knows. Come on now. Everyone knows that you're on the bench and sometimes things, you know, they're, they're not that exciting. And so mm-hmm. they fall asleep. And when they fall asleep, you know, and you make an objection. Objection. And <laughs> you kind of sometimes have Crickets. to hit the desk. Yeah, yeah. Crickets, so Crickets. everyone in the, you know, everyone knows, all right, judges asleep. So, all right, we'll just, you know, so do I always they tell. snore? I've actually had some, I had one of them snore. I mean, he'll, you know, he, yeah, yeah, I had, yes, yes. <laughs> did you, did you laugh? <laughs> no, I smacked the side of the desk and woke him up and he just like did that whole like startled, you know, like jumped out of his chair. I'm fine. Then, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because the most recent trial that I was on sometimes, you know, sometimes jurors, jurors are sleeping and there was a juror that was just sawing logs and we're like, that's not <laughs> fair. And so because of that, the judge, like a lot of judges, I think are a little bit more cognizant of that. And so mm-hmm. they'll, if they see any, any of the jurors falling asleep, then what they'll do is they'll say, all right, that's cool. How about we uh, go ahead and let's take a 10 minute break or a five minute break and, you know, stretch your legs, just give everyone stand up a little bit. Cause you know, you get comfortable in those juror seats right. and due to COVID, everyone's kind of, you know, either one to two chairs apart and, you know, so you can have some leg room and you don't have someone breathing on you. So, you know, you're, you can fall asleep, you know? Well, I mean, I guess I understand that, like, court's boring, guys. I mean, Shelly and I have said it before. Like, not all court is exciting. And yeah. the jury is probably sitting there like, I don't care at yeah. some points. Yeah. You know? Exactly, exactly. Or they're, you know, they're like, gosh, this is repetitive. But, you know, sometimes it has to be repetitive right? because you have to be able to get multiple sides of the story out from yep. you know, from different perspectives. So sometimes a little bit is redundant, but that's just the way that it is. So, you know, try to try to keep yourself awake. But when the judge says no coffee in his courtroom and then he expects Ew. you to sit there. Yeah. Come on now. Yes. What a yeah. Yeah. Not so, a fan of that judge. No, that's one that star judge. on Yelp for that right? judge. <laughs> yes. Star. Not does not recommend that judge. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's funny. And then uh, there is another really kind of a funny case. So there was an attempted vehicular manslaughter. So a defendant in a criminal case. I'll I'll just lay it out. I'll just lay it out okay. this way. So a defendant attempted attempted to run over a district attorney that was prosecuting them. Yikes. Yeah. The I feel like the, I've said that a lot this episode. Yeah, <laughs> Lots right. Of yikes I know. Happening. I know. There's a lot of yikes. Yeah. So the district attorney was like, "Hey, this is what happened." The judge said, "Absolutely not. This is ridiculous." His bail was revoked. He was sent back to jail, and then it was declared a mistrial because he was in the middle mm-hmm. of trial. However, his defense attorney said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! My client takes public transportation. He's never had a driver's license, and he doesn't own a car." Obviously, oh. this wasn't in California because everyone here owns cars and they don't have driver's licenses. But, you know, it was some place that, you know, they just sometimes they just don't. They have public transportation. Good for them. That's great. So then they went as far as the defense attorney showed surveillance camera of him on public transportation on the date of the incident that this supposedly happened. So then they went as far as to continue on with this because, you know, so the, you know, sometimes those cameras, you can't really tell you like, okay, that looks like him. Yeah. He's wearing the same clothes. He's walking the same. Sure. It's questionable. The judge could still be like, I don't believe it. 
whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, this is an attorney. This is a district attorney that is saying, hey, this happened to yeah. me. So, you know, they're, you know, they're they're held to a different standard. Right. So right. then the defense attorney actually goes out on the street and finds a camera that shows this supposed incident. <gasps> And Uh the car that almost hit this district attorney was like 10 feet away from the sidewalk. So it wasn't even like near her. And so that dude was released from from jail. Bail was reinstated and they got their fair trial for rape. Because that's what they were on trial for. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's super crazy. So like they're. But wow. So look at that. That's super biased. Right. Because like this district attorney apparently is just like this dude's on trial for rape. Maybe she's thinking she doesn't have enough evidence. Yeah. But they had enough to maybe press charges. Who knows? But like that's crazy. That's just super crazy. So, you know, especially attorneys, you're held to a different That sounds standard. like vindictive. It told. It, thank you. Thank it's, you. Yeah. I vindictive. see it one way, but I'm glad right. that you totally saw it vindictive. Now, this is a fun one. Mm. We all love our celebrities. So, and I'm going to name I do. drop. I'm, I'm guilty. Name drop, yeah, I'm going to name drop this one because do it. it's do public. It. So Tom Hanks was called to drop jury it like duty in LA, right? Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, good old good old Tom Hanks. <laughs> he was in California and LA. I love Tom Hanks. He's, yeah, he's, he's kind of amazing. And he was called to jury duty mm-hmm. in a criminal case. And you know what? Good for him. Instead of like hiring everyone to be, mm. you know, oh my gosh, get me out of this jury duty. I don't want to sit. He's like, you know, it's my civic duty. I'm yeah. going to do this. So good for him. Like what an upstanding man. He went, he served and, uh, well, let's see. One of the staff members from one of the sides said, approached him in the hallway uh-huh. and was just like, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you're serving and that you didn't attempt to get out of this. This is really awesome that you're that much of a man and you're, you know, that much of a great person and, you know, human being and that sort of stuff. And so then the other side found out oh. that, you know, they were talking to a juror. He is Tom Hanks, but he is still a juror. So, oh, no, you know, the rule, the, the rule, rule, he's that, still a yeah. juror and you are not supposed no party and no witnesses, no anyone. They're, you're not supposed to talk to any jurors at all. Whatsoever. Yeah. And not so I have stories about that. But yeah, so they found out and then they said, you know, I'm so sorry. It's you know, it, it's definitely it's jury tampering. So they said, all right. And then they met and conferred and then they actually just uh, oh, they they settled the case, but instead of having to go to trial, but it was kind of cool, you know, that Tom yeah. Hanks, Tom Hanks made him settle. <laughs> I actually but, have a story about the rule that's so funny. Oh, um, yeah, 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 tell me your story. Okay, so the first time that I was at court to testify, I didn't know about the rule. I hadn't really been educated about the testimony process. Mm-hmm. So we're all sitting in the just in case. People don't know this. If you are testifying in a trial, you can't sit in that courtroom and listen to the trial. Correct. You have to wait. Witness in some in some some cases, expert witnesses can. Uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen that happen in my experience, but I believe you, obviously. So, <laughs> I'm sitting out there with my coworkers, and you know, like the medical examiner is there and then a a doctor who worked in the emergency room was there and I was sitting next to a detective and we were just talking and we weren't talking about the case, but this is how I learned about the rule. This female attorney from the defense comes over and sticks her hand in my face and goes, 
The judge hasn't invoked the rule yet, but it's really inappropriate that you two are talking. Oh. And I was like, first of all, get your hand out of my face. (laughs) Second of all, you're not the boss of me because, like, that's what kind of little shit I was. Like, you know, you're not the boss of me. Third of all, what's the rule? (laughs) What are you talking about? And then so the detective was like, we weren't talking about the case. Scurry on. And then he ends up telling me that – you know, even though he, he and I have talked about the case a hundred million times because we worked on it together, that in the courthouse, once the process starts, that we are not allowed to be publicly discussing the case. And I was like, okay, well, that's understandable. I still just did not want this bitch's hand in my face, though. Obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if, whatever. She, you know, if she wants to use that flex, that's fine. But that's how I even learned what that was, because I'm not going to lie. I was absolutely planning on picking his brain about, like, what he thought we were going to be asked and, like, this and that. So in a way, it was a blessing because I didn't accidentally cause a problem. Which is good. That's right. That's, yes, that's definitely good. So it was a blessing, bitch in a skirt back in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> so then that's that's when you say thank you so much. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday, ho. Yeah. Do you know what see you next Tuesday stands for? Yes, I do. Yes, I okay. do. I, well, I don't say that word, though. <laughs> I, I don't either. I don't either. But that's when you just tell her see you next Tuesday because that'll get I you just... in trouble as well. If you say that in court and you're an attorney. I think I used my eyes to say it. Oh, good. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really good. That's really, yeah. really good. I like that. I used my eyes. She she picked yeah. up what I was putting down. That is so funny. So when we see jurors, we immediately just stop talking. And we right. don't ever take the same right. elevator as any of them. And if they get on the elevator, we usually just like get off the elevator. Uh, who knows what floor we're on? It doesn't even matter. Just mm-hmm. get off the elevator because you don't ever want to be seen coming out of an elevator with a juror. You don't want to be seen. They keep them even separate from the restrooms if they can. And, you know, the newer courthouses and yeah. the older ones, obviously, they kind of commingle. But, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Like you have to really, really be cautious. And you have to be cautious because sometimes you're having a conversation out in the hallway And all of a sudden a juror will walk up or walk by you. And if, you know, like your back is turned to them, you have absolutely no idea that they're behind you. And then it's, holy crap, this just, there's a juror. and This is happening. There's those freak out moments where I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, please, 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 please. I don't want, I don't ever want the judge to call me out. Like I was, I was walking in the hallway and they were talking about evidence and I overheard them and I'm just, I don't want that to happen to me. So, oh my gosh, I freak out. Or, you know, talking about witnesses or anything. So I try to not even talk anything about the case unless I'm in, you know, behind sacred doors is what I call it. So Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, I'll be cheesy. So oh, yeah. in this case, instead of a runaway jury, you're a running away from the jury. Dad jokes for days. <laughs> that was so jokes, ridiculous. Dad jokes. Dad jokes. Dad jokes. Dad jokes for days. That is hilarious. Oh, uh, so I do have to tell another really funny story. Do it. When you're getting selected for jury duty, as a potential juror, you sit in the courtroom. You sit mm-hmm. in there and both parties are present. Not all witnesses are there and not everyone from each side is always there at the very beginning. That just, you know, sometimes it happens. But everyone that's going to be in the courtroom on a regular basis, usually their their names are read. So we have a witness list that we uh-huh. To the jury so that they can say, oh, yeah, by the way, I know this person. So, I, you know, I couldn't be fair and impartial, potentially, whatever. So they just want to know if we have any conflicts. Fair. Names are all red. First, last names are red. Where you work, you know, so 
these are all the people for the defense side. They're, you know, coming from whatever. Or these are the people from the plaintiff side. They're coming from whatever. Here's their names, first and last names. Here's your experts. Here's your witnesses. Here's everyone that if any, if any of you jurors know any of these people, speak now or forever hold your peace type stuff. Okay. Awesome. Great. So I wasn't there for jury selection because I was doing some back-end stuff that was like, you know, emergency type stuff. I come walking in the courtroom after they have selected the jury and at one of the breaks, one of the jurors passes a note because like I said, they can pass a note. Do that, to, right. To communicate. And the note said something to the effect of the blonde that just walked in, I met her at a bar and we started <gasps> dating. Oh, no. You didn't, and Shelly, you didn't remember this particular wiener? Dude, Judge reads, <laughs> I met him, apparently I met him at a bar and we started dating. Judge reads this off. And of course, I am like, uh, I was the blonde uh, that walked in and I'm looking at every juror. And now I know their names because, you know, we see the jury, you know, the juror list. And yeah. I know their names and I'm looking and I'm like, I don't know this person. I and have. I don't even know my last name. <laughs> right? And I was just thinking to myself, uh, nope, nope, that's actually not me. And so I, yeah, this was this was like 18 years ago. And so I had to sit there and the judge was so incredible. And he said, look, you know, that's fine. Excused all the other jurors. And here I am in front of, you know, my my boss, my attorney boss, and getting questioned about if I ever had ever gone. And I'd never gone to the bar that he had talked about. I was like, I, I don't even know that bar. I you don't just know had a familiar face that time? I guess I had a familiar face. And mm -hmm. I just was mortified. And the judge, he looked at me and he said, well, you may have a familiar face, but it's a beautiful one. And I went, oh, that's sweet. Aww, that was all right, very all right. sweet. Five <laughs> Yelp stars for that judge. Five right? would recommend that judge. <laughs> right? Well, yes. so needless to say, after the trial was over, I did not go anywhere near that juror, but because usually we pull the jurors after, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't go anywhere near that juror. And he ended up asking one of the other people from my office for my phone number. And he was oh, like, oh, no, 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 no. He you was baiting you. Oh, totally. Yeah. Dude, you yeah. called me out. I was embarrassed the rest of the trial. Like, that's not sexy. It was not awful. sexy. It was awful. Nope. But yeah, it happened. Men, this is not how you pick up women is pretending that you've already been there, done that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And don't. Don't even attempt to pick us us women up on, on this show because we're not having that either. <laughs> we are, well, we are taking women. We are crusty taking women. <laughs> crusty old taking women. Unless like you're Scott. Wait, unless you're Scott Eastwood and then I'm down. Dude, I'm I still, still don't know who that is. I'm okay, well, you will be happy once you Google search after this episode is done recording. <laughs> you will don't be a happy girl. Don't even know. Don't even know. I don't know my life. I don't know this Scott uh, Eastwood. I know Clint Eastwood. That's all I know. Yeah, it's his son, girl. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Shout you know, out I to think, Scott Eastwood. I, I'm, I'm thinking that, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that this might be a good time to wrap this episode up. Oh, I feel like I've learned so much about I having like to, to redo trials. I know. so many more things. So, oh my. You know what, guys? Thank you so much for listening to our show. We appreciate, like, each and every one of you that tunes in or has tuned in. If you're enjoying it, we would also appreciate uh, you sharing it with your friends and family. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email hello at crimescenequeens.com. You can also find us on 
TikTok and Instagram. It's at Crime Scene Queens. And, and if you're gonna die, do your local CSI a favor and keep it interesting. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye for now, everyone. Crime Scene Queens is a Q Code Media production. Executive producers David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Nate Dufort. Theme song and music by Darren Johnson. 